Wow, this is a great day. I mean, we have a great crowd. I was shocked when I saw all you people come. Everybody I knew was staying home, it seemed, so, uh, or had traveled and are enjoying a long weekend. But thank you guys for being here live, and thanks for all the folks that are watching online as well. I got a question to um, just pose to you. Have you ever had one of those moments? It was sort of like an aha moment where you had this uh, great insight, and you thought, you know, I should probably write that down but then you didn't because you thought, oh, I'll remember it, and then you forgot. Anybody ever had that? Or or how about this? Maybe you parents, did did you ever have a situation where maybe your child said or did something that was really funny or or maybe really profound, and you thought, I should probably write this down, but you didn't, and then you began to forget exactly what they said or did? Has that ever happened to you? Or, Or how about this? Have you ever just come a something that's just incredible, and you thought, I should take a picture of this or, or record it somehow, and you, you didn't. And then it began to uh, fade from your memory. Things like that happen to me all the time. I think I'm going to remember it, and then I fail to record it, and it begins to slowly fade, and many images or, or things that I, I've heard or even thought And it's important that we write things down or that we create ways to remember important events in our lives or important sayings in our lives. Uh, God was very intentional with the Israelites, and he specifically at different times throughout um, their journey encouraged them to record these moments. And he did it in unique ways, and we're going to look at one of those unique ways he wanted them to remember exactly what he had done. For them, So there would be an encouragement, not just for them, but for the generations to come. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4, if you want to follow along in uh, your Bible or on your device, feel free. Um, in case you weren't with me uh, or with us last week, or maybe you just forgot what we talked about because you failed to write it down, well, let me remind you for a second. So we looked at an incredible miracle that God performed where he held back the waters of the River Jordan so that the Israelites could cross over on dry land. And he did that through some some priests who took up the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence. And he had those priests take some steps of faith. And one was a really big step because they had to step into the River Jordan when it was at flood stage. And as they stepped in, as their feet hit the water, all of a sudden God stopped the flow. 20 miles up the river, he stopped it. And then those, those priests carried the Ark of the Covenant into the middle of the Jordan. And they stood there while all the Israelites passed by. So that's where we're going to pick up. We're in Joshua chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from every place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, 
that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. A memorial forever. Now, God wanted these stones to be a memorial, not just for the people who had just experienced his his mighty hand, the way that he had held back the waters of the Jordan, but he wanted them to be a memorial for the people to come, for their children and their children's children, that they would know that God was present and that he is powerful and that he keeps his promises, that he did that in the past and he will do so in the future. It was to be an encouragement for those who would come after them. God's presence, his promises, and his amazing power to provide. Now, I think monuments and memorials are equally important for us today. I think they're beneficial. And I was thinking of some of the monuments and memorials that we have just even nearby us. We live in a special part of the country. And so I was thinking about the Washington Monument up in D.C. And then we have the Lincoln Memorial. You have the World War II Memorial. Think about Martin Luther King Jr.'s memorial there And um, the 9-11 memorial, as we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of that. These memorials are, are important for us because not only do they help us to remember the past, but they help us to learn from the past as well, right? So that maybe we can do better in the future. And we have these ever before us. They're an encouragement. That's what we have today. But God has given us so many more monuments and memorials and we want to continue to look at that, how he did that for the Israel, Israelites. But also, I believe they should be encouragements for us today as well. If you look at verse 8, it says, Then the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Now, just like Joshua, I too have chosen 12 men who have stones to bring forward at this time. So uh, these mighty men of God are going to hoist these stones up on their shoulders. They're going to bring them forward just as, as a sign of what Joshua had, had had these men do in his day, in his time. And they're going to do it a little more quickly than they are right now. I mean, those four guys had to go all the way down into the Jordan. They had to go to where the priests were still holding the Ark of the Covenant. Just lay them here before me. No need to bow down or anything. Thank you, men. These are stones of remembrance. Look, y'all are getting a hand. Well done. I'm glad nobody stroked out. You know who I'm talking about. The, uh, but here's the thing. So they, they laid them right where they were going to go. So they're going to, to camp, set camp up in Gilgal. So it was actually a significant distance from where they were in the Jordan, at least a mile away. So they had to carry these heavy stones, probably heavier than these, on their shoulders all the way there. And then they laid them down at Joshua's feet. And then Joshua did something, something interesting. 
He, instead of immediately erecting this monument, you know what he did? He, he went down into the Jordan. So the people had crossed over, but the priests were still standing down there holding the Ark of the Covenant. I, I feel like those guys were worn out, right? And they're there, and he goes and he collects 12 stones of his own. And he starts to assemble a monument right there in the center of the Jordan River so that it would be a sign not just for this is rather precarious and dangerous I'm sure it wasn't as comical when Joshua did it. But you get the idea. And so he assembles these stones. And, and the symbolism was the same. They were meant to be a memorial for the people to remember, not just the people that were there that day, but for their children and their children's children and those that would come after them, even for us, that God had performed a mighty miracle that he had stopped the water of the Jordan River so that his people could make their way across on dry land. He had this monument constructed. And here's why I think this is even more significant. Remember that the Jordan was at flood stage. It was at flood stage. And so he erected this monument in a place where shortly thereafter, for many months of the year would be hidden from sight. You wouldn't see it because it would be completely submerged in water. What's the significance of that? Well, I think sometimes in our lives, we feel like God is absent from us. You know, maybe he has abandoned us. And I think this monument represents the fact that God is always present. He is still powerful. Even in those moments when we feel like I, I don't know that he's there. He, he's there. He just may be obscured by the floodwaters of life. And it's important that we remember that these monuments exist, just like Joshua erected right there in the middle of the Jordan River. Now, God's still present. He's powerful. And even though the floodwaters of life may be obscuring our view of him, he's there. And we can trust him. We can trust in him for his presence and his promises. Now, if you continue to look at verses 10 through 13, you're going to see that all the Israelites had made their way across the Jordan River, including 40,000 men of fighting age who were from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. So Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. I don't know if you can see it, but on the screens up here, is a a picture of those tribes, of the 12 tribes of Israel, where they settled ultimately in the promised land. And you'll see on the the right-hand side, on the eastern side of the Jordan River, Reuben, his clan, his tribe, Gad, his tribe, and half of the tribe of Manasseh chose to settle right there instead of crossing into the promised land. But there was a contingency there. God said, that is fine. 
but your men of fighting age are still going to have to cross over, and they're going to have to fight for the land for their brothers and sisters. And that's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they did. So you can see that. Now, we move on to verse 14. It said, On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as he had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priest bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest, Come up out of the Jordan. And when the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overwhelmed all its banks as before. Everything went back to the way it had been. The floodwaters covered the earth there. That monument that Joshua erected, those stones of remembrance, were completely covered in water. Completely covered in water. And this incredible miracle of God would have been um, lost on the rest of the world. The majority of the world never saw this. Only really the Israelites, and maybe there are a few other people in the land that witnessed God's miraculous work in holding back the flood waters of the Jordan. But nobody else did. And even, I would imagine, when the Israelites started telling of how God had done this, most people probably dismissed it. They probably thought they were crazy because this is, this is a story that is rather hard to believe, isn't it? And so when we don't believe something, um, we quickly dismiss the story, and we also tend to dismiss the people. But yet we know, even though they couldn't see the memorial, it was there, wasn't it? It was right there in the center of the Jordan River. And as the floodwaters received, receded, it would be revealed. So whether or not the people believed the facts, it didn't change the facts of what God had accomplished that day. And I think the same is true when we um, try to share our faith, specifically in, in Jesus, with others. A lot of people will just dismiss it because it sounds too far out. It sounds too crazy. And, and I was thinking about this. Um, it is. Like, it's a crazy story that we believe. Our faith is based in, in a miraculous story. Think about it. So um, if you don't have this relationship with God, maybe you've never heard the stories growing up. You don't know um, the Bible. You're not familiar with Jesus. You haven't experienced a relationship with him. And all of a sudden, somebody's trying to share their faith or giving their testimony, and they start sharing about how there's one God, but he's in three persons. And you're like, well, stop right there. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And you're like, no, no, seriously. Like, there's one God, but he's in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All right, are you with me? Kind of. All right. And, and here's the other thing. So, so one of the Godheads, that this guy, Jesus, God the Son, he comes to earth in physical form as a baby. Okay. And uh, he, here's the other thing. Like, so he's born of this, this girl. Her name's Mary, and she's a virgin. Okay, how's that happen? Well, let me tell you how it happens. Like, the Holy Spirit came upon her. Really? All right. You're not crazy. Okay. And so then he's born, right? And then he grows up to become a man and he's a sinless man. Like he never swore. He never, you know, disrespected or disobeyed his parents. He was, he was a sinless, perfect man. Hmm. 
Nobody I know is like that, not even Steve Forbes. And so you, uh, you're, you're trying to buy into this story, right? And, and then he, they go on and say, okay, and, and then when he was 30 years old, he, he started, you know, sharing about who he was and about the kingdom of God, and he started performing these miraculous signs and wonders before the people. And, and then he was mistreated by the very people that he came to save, specifically the religious leaders who should have known better. And then they beat him. And they ultimately put him to death in this horrific way by nailing him to a cross. And then they took his body and they buried it in a tomb. But that's not the end of the story. Like on the third day, he, he rose from the dead and he never died again. And you're sitting there thinking, Really? Yeah, and not only did he rise from the dead, but he appeared to his closest followers and then to more than 500 others. There's more than 500 eyewitnesses to this account. And he walked around on earth for 50-some days. And then guess what happened? He went back to heaven. Just as quickly as he came, he left. But he didn't leave us alone. He left his spirit to dwell within every single person who is a follower of his. Not just back then, but today as well. That's a crazy story. It, it, I think it's easier to believe in God stopping up the Jordan River than it is to believe our stories of our faith in God and specifically in Jesus Christ. Don't you think? I mean, we just had Hurricane Ida come through and, and Ida changed the flow of the Mississippi River. Remember, did you hear this? So the Mississippi runs from north to south. Well, Ida came through and completely turned it from south to north. Well, if a storm can do that, it's not a, a big reach to think that God could do that, is it? And yet, here we're talking about a crazy kind of faith that could be very hard for some people to believe. And so we need to acknowledge that. And what proof do we have? We have these eyewitness accounts, but they're thousands of years old. What kind of monument or memorials do we have that could prove this? Because we don't have something in the Jordan River that we can go to that was built, you know, thousands of years ago. But we do have a number of monuments and memorials that are in the Holy Land today that if you want to go there, you can see them. They've been excavated. You can actually go and you can see the empty tomb where Jesus was laid and where he rose from. That's a modern-day memorial that should encourage us in our faith. And beyond that, there are millions of people that have lived that can testify and millions of people who have died testifying to the fact that Jesus forever changed their lives, even though he was gone. They talk about the power of the Holy Spirit and how he made himself known. And they can speak of miraculous events in their own lives. There are many testimonials like that. And then there's us, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ as well. We are these living stones of remembrance. We are living, walking testimonials, monuments and memorials of just who God is, of his faithfulness, of his presence even today, of his power, and of his promises to come. That's the gift that we have. Now we continue on here. Verse 19, the people came up 
out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. And so we'll see if this goes better the second time. So this is where they're going to encamp, and Joshua takes those stones that they had taken out of the river, and he starts again building this monument so that they would never forget what God had done for them. And as he built it, he talked to them, and he reminded them that as your children and your children's children grow, and they ask you, what's the point of all of these stones that you will share with them? This incredible story, this miraculous story of God's provision as he held back as he continues to hold back, as see, there are miracles still today, but this will be a sign that you can share with your children and your children's children of the power of God, of His power, of His presence, and His promises. That must be the Holy Spirit moving and working in our midst. So one of the last um, lines that I love there, and he, Joshua was explaining what the purpose of this would be. And in verse 24, he says, So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. That you may know the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, I think you have a bigger better story than the Israelites who crossed the Jordan River. You have a story of where God has taken you from spiritual death to life, eternal life. You have that story to share, and that's way more powerful than the miracle of holding back a river. You are a living stone of remembrance of what God can and will do in people's lives as they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know, it, it says, and a lot of times we're uncomfortable with this, that, that God is, is a mighty God, um, but that we should fear him. And we need to remember that, that God is, in fact, mighty. He is mighty. He, he is not subject to any man, any military force. Um, he doesn't answer to any of us, as we often like to believe he um, is one to be feared, and when we talk about fear, it, it's, it's not like a cowering fear. It, it's, a, it's a kind of fear of awe and reverence, and we should remember that because sometimes we get a little too casual with God, and sometimes we, we approach him with indifference. Sometimes we even approach him with arrogance. He's to be feared in a holy and reverent way. We should be in awe of God. We should worship God. We should worship him. Give him all the praise, all the glory, and all the, the honor 
because he is all-powerful. Just as he can create life out of nothing, he can also take it away. And so we need to be ever mindful of that. And we need to learn, I think, from, from the Israelites and just how they specifically followed God's instructions. And they built these, these monuments of remembrance. Like, how many things has God done in our lives that we've forgotten about? I know in my life a number of them. And as time goes on, we have a tendency to sort of minimize them too, right? Well, there's a couple families in our church that have taken steps to create their own stones of remembrance, if you will. One is the Clay family, so Ronnie and Kimberly. I've known them for, gosh, about 30 years now. And I remember back, so when their youngest daughter, Amelia Joy, had just turned four, she was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer, and it was found in her eye. And there was like a 70% mortality rate with this. And I remember coming together with them and the church coming together and, and AJ, um, just a sweet little girl that she was and still is today. Um, I mean, she underwent 48 weeks, 48 weeks of chemotherapy, 25 radiation treatments. She lost all her hair. She, little AJ lost 25% of her body weight, which is significant when you're a child. She was struggling. The clays were struggling. But in the midst of it, they still remembered God's presence and his power and his provision. And they began to collect some stones. And I think we have a picture of, of what those stones look like, if you can see it. And they started gathering stones from the hospital and stones from the labs where she would have her treatments, and stones from their house. They ended up living in two houses during this time, and stones from where Ronnie worked, and stones from where Ronnie ran and prayed as he ran. And then if you look on the top, you'll see a conch shell. And they got that when they went on vacation to celebrate that AJ was cancer-free. And, and this memorial of remembrance has followed them everywhere they've lived. And they've taken it with them and reconstructed it because they never want to forget the mighty hand of God. Even though there are times when he may be obscured from their view because of the floodwaters of life. And that's just a reality. All of us experience that from time to time. Sometimes our, our situation, our circumstance is so difficult that you have a difficult time seeing God and remembering that, he's pre that he is present. And this is a forever, so to speak, reminder of God's presence in their life. And so that's one example and a practical way that we can do that. Um, the hornbacks are another one. Um, so there's a little smaller version, but this may be even more practical for some of us. And so what they do when um, they see the mighty hand of God at work in their lives, in their family's lives, what they'll do is gather the family together and they'll talk about it and they'll pray and give thanks to God. And then they'll get a stone and they'll write um, what happened briefly there and the date. And then they'll put it in this jar and this jar sits in the middle of their kitchen table. And so it's ever before them. 
they can always remember day in and day out of the mighty hand of God at work in their lives, of his presence, of his promise, of his power. Isn't that neat? Isn't that something that could encourage you when you're just feeling overwhelmed by the floodwaters of life? To look at those and then to maybe pull them out and start talking amongst yourselves about how God showed up in the midst of that. You know, sometimes he may hold back those floodwaters and you may cross on dry ground, but sometimes it may not work out like that. But you can trust that he will carry you through those floodwaters of life. And so this morning, I want you to consider that. And to help you, maybe, maybe you want to start some kind of a tradition like this. So I went down the street to the landscape store, and Rudd was very generous. And he gave us all these stones over here. And um, I'm going to encourage you at the end of the service, if this is something that you might want to consider, you get a stone. And maybe your family or you as an individual, you start something like this. And anytime you see God's mighty hand at work in your lives, maybe write it on the stone or, you know, something else. I don't know how he'll lead you and keep it in a, in a place where you can see it because there will be times when you are just overwhelmed and you're going to need to be reminded of God's presence, his power, and his promises. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much. I thank you for things like these stones of remembrance that remind us of, of your power, your faithfulness, your presence, your promises, your provision in our lives. Lord, I, I thank you so much for your word. I'm, I'm so thankful that you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, had some pretty ordinary men write all these things down, that we have what we call the Bible, so that we can go back and we can remember things that have happened thousands and thousands of years ago. We can see your mighty hand at work from beginning to end. And we see, Lord, that you are worthy of our awe and our reverence. Lord, may we be people who constantly look to you. May we be encouraged by the way that we've seen you work in the past in other people's lives, and specifically how we've seen you work in our lives, whether we acknowledge that or not. Lord, sometimes time is a benefit to where we can see how you have been orchestrating all these things, good and bad, to bring us to the point that we are right here and right now. May we be men and women of faith and, and courageous and strong, willing to share our faith story as crazy as it may seem to others with the world around us. We thank you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.